several other death conversations uh, in this last week, and not just concerning Jesus. Uh, on uh, the same day last weekend, uh, a friend of mine, he actually owns a hotel in Niagara Falls, and I've stayed at his family hotel probably for the last 15 years, two, three times a month. Uh, and so I've got to know him very well and his, his wife and his family, but his wife passed away uh, on last weekend, and she was dying with cancer. She knew she was dying. Uh, but it was uh, sad, and I phoned him to tell him I was coming Monday night, and I could tell that something was wrong. And I said, Lorenzo, bad news? And he said, yes, my wife passed away. I saw Lorenzo, you know, and, and said, I'm so sorry to hear that. And look, forget it. Don't, don't worry about me coming this week often in the off-season. I'm the only person that might be in his hotel. I said, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll get a room somewhere else. And he said, no, no, Brent, come. And he said, what else do I got to do? Uh, he said, I'd rather just be at the hotel. And uh, I got there Monday at about four thirty-five o'clock. And I said, look, just put the key in the mailbox like you do often for me. Don't wait for me. Uh, but I got there. He was in his office and uh, his daughter and son were there. And they'd obviously been crying. And I walked in there and, and again, gave my condolences and, and hugged the son and, and hugged the daughter. And I said, Lorenzo, you didn't have to wait for me. And he said, Brent, what else can I be doing? Life sucks. I looked at his daughter, and I looked at his son, and the tears in their eyes, and I couldn't help but just think how helpless they felt at that moment, and the despair that they were feeling. And Lorenzo, the husband, uh, lack of purpose. Life sucks. What else has he got to do but run his hotel? On that same day last weekend, my sister-in-law's father passed away. And as she was sharing at the funeral uh, on Wednesday, uh, she shared a letter that had been written to her by a couple of her students at her school. And it said, Mrs. Mackey, we're really sorry to hear about your father. Hopefully, maybe he's in a better place. And as she read those words, I thought, hopelessness, lack of certainty, a lack of hope. Those emotions really describe a lot of the conversations we have about death. And then I couldn't help but think of the conversation that must have taken place that first Easter weekend. After Jesus has been crucified, he's been laid in a tomb. Imagine the conversation that must have taken place amongst his followers. As they locked themselves in a room, afraid, confused. All those emotions that Lorenzo and his family and the students of my sister-in-law shared must have been the same emotions that the disciples and the close followers of Jesus were experiencing. A lack of purpose, loss of hope, helplessness, despair, dismay, confusion. You know, there's a real big difference in the deaths that I've described. Lorenzo's wife uh, she wanted to keep living, but she knew she was going to die. She had terminal cancer. My sister-in-law's father, his wife passed away a year ago. And for the last three or four months, all he's been talking about was he's ready to die. But Jesus said, I must die. As if he had some kind of control over his death. And what makes it really different is Jesus said this, in three days, I will rise bodily from the dead. You see, Jesus staked his whole reputation on that claim. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead bodily in three days, then everything that Jesus said and did is open 
to question. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything that his followers had attached their hope to crumbles. I think Paul said it best in the reading that I I shared with you at the beginning of the service. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, your faith and my faith is worthless. And we are still in our sin. But does it really matter whether Jesus rose from the dead? Isn't it enough that we see Jesus as as a great leader? Isn't it enough that he he left a a good example for us to follow? That he, he left a lot of wonderful life lessons. And you know that the answer I'm expecting from you is no, but but let's be realistic. A lot of people are okay with that answer. That Jesus was a good man, that he left a lot of good lessons, that he had a lot of good things to say. He was such a good person to try to, to copy our life after. But frankly, the answer is no. It's not enough. The claim of Jesus that he would rise three days bodily from the dead is either the cornerstone of Christianity or it is its greatest flaw. If Jesus rose from the dead like he said he would and how the scriptures describe it, if he did, then it's the supreme miracle of Christianity and it's the very core of our faith. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead... If it didn't happen like the scriptures describe it, then Christianity collapses. And it's no different than any other world religion. And millions upon millions of people, including most of us here this morning, have been deceived. And what we think we believe really is futile and worthless. But if Jesus did rise from the dead, it authenticates everything that he said about himself, everything he said that he would do, everything that he said that remains to be done. If Jesus did rise from the dead like he said he would, if he rose from the dead, it's the most wonderful, relevant news for all of us here this morning. How can we be sure that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, is is there evidence that can prove that Jesus rose from the dead? And the reality is that for every one of us here this morning, we personally have to come to a conclusion concerning the resurrection of Jesus. You have to decide for yourself that it is either a fairy tale, a myth, a legend, or it is an indisputable fact of history. But how can we be sure? Billy Graham said, There is more evidence that Jesus rose from the dead than there is that Julius Caesar ever lived or that Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. How could Billy Graham be so sure? What evidence is there? I want to share with you four evidences, and and this could be a full sermon itself, and I just want to quickly share these four points with you. There's so much more material about this that you could read and and learn from and, and hear others speak on. But let me just share with you four reasons why I know that Jesus rose from the dead. And the first reason is this, that Jesus actually was dead. 
And you may think, okay, that's kind of an odd evidence to hear. But hear me out. Many people try to explain away the fact that Jesus appeared to people after he apparently was dead by saying, well, he really wasn't dead. But the truth is, Jesus died a horrific death. His suffering began in the garden where it says that he sweat uh, what, what were like drops of blood. His suffering continue, continued uh, as he was interrogated after he was arrested. It says that he was spitting upon, he was beaten, he was punched in the face. His suffering continued as he was brought before Pilate, where he was flogged, where a crown of thorns was placed on his head, where he was repeatedly hit over the head. And then it says that Jesus was put on a cross, and he was nailed to that cross with five to seven inch long spikes. And he endured what historians will say is one of the most horrific forms of execution, crucifixion. In fact, the word that we have, excruciating, finds its origins in in a word that was used to describe the level and the intensity of pain involved with being hung on a cross. John, verses, uh, John chapter 19 tells us that the religious leaders were worried that the bodies were going to remain on the cross over the Sabbath. And so they asked Pilate if the soldiers would break the legs of those who were hanging on the cross. And just that, as I thought about that this morning, just that thought alone. You know, everything else that happened to Jesus, but just imagine being hanging on a cross and someone comes and breaks your legs so that you couldn't prop yourself up and breathe. But it says that the soldiers came to Jesus and found that he was dead already. And so they stuck a spear in his side and out floored uh, blood and water. If you were worried that he wasn't dead, he was dead now. And then in, John, or sorry, in Mark, it tells us that Pilate was surprised, was surprised that Jesus had died already. And I guess G, uh, Pilate didn't really understand the report when it said that Jesus cried in a, a victorious voice, It's finished. And then he laid his head down, almost appearing to give his own life away. And so he asked the centurion, is Jesus really dead? And the centurion said, yes, Jesus is dead. And it was at that point that Pilate gave the body over to Joseph of of Arimathea. So Jesus was dead. The second reason why I know that Jesus is alive, that he rose from the dead, is the empty tomb. In fact, if you got into an argument with me or a debate about uh, why I believe so strongly in Jesus Christ, I would bring you to the tomb. And many people I've challenged, explain away the empty tomb to me. And if you can, then I will renounce everything that I say I believe. And no one has been able to successfully take that challenge. Many people have tried to come up with reasons why the tomb was empty But the excuses, the theories don't hold any water. The facts are that Jesus was buried in a solid rock tomb. He had 100 pounds of spices on him. He was wrapped tightly with strips of linen cloth. A two-ton stone was put in front of the tomb. The tomb was guarded by a battalion of 16 Roman soldiers. And these Roman soldiers aren't like the ones we see in pictures, wearing the little dress and carrying the cute little sword. These were... These were fighting machines. They were trained to defend to the death. They feared nothing. And on top of that, the tomb was sealed with the seal of Rome. You mess with the soldiers, you mess with that seal, and you faced a horrible, horrible fate. And yet three days later, the tomb was empty. 
Some will say that, well, the disciples, those scared, weak disciples came and somehow got by the soldiers and moved the two-ton stone away. And they they stole the body, which makes no sense, because why would they hold on to a body and eventually meet their death, proclaiming that Jesus was alive? The soldiers would have never allowed it to happen. The religious leaders would never allow the myth to continue. But the theories don't hold water. No one can argue away the empty tomb. Because Christianity rises or falls on the empty tomb, but they can't produce a body because there's no body to produce because Jesus was alive. So we can know that Jesus is alive because of the empty tomb. We can also know that Jesus is alive because of the eyewitnesses. Imagine if you pulled out of here and you went up to the corner of of, uh, Armour and and Park Hill and you had a green light and you went through and someone went right through a red light and T-boned you. And you went, oh my goodness, you went through a red light? And he says, you went through a red light. And you look around and there's no one there. You know you're in trouble, right? But what if that happened and you looked out and there was two or three cars there? How would you feel then? Two or three eyewitnesses, good? What if you had over 500 eyewitnesses? You'd be pretty confident, wouldn't you, going to court that you were in the right In Acts chapter 2, where Peter is, after Pentecost, is talking to the crowd. He says to them, Jesus is risen. We are eyewitnesses to the fact. And a few verses down, it says over 3,000 people were added to the kingdom that day. 1 Corinthians 15, which I just read, Paul says that, That Jesus appeared to Peter, then he appeared to another person, then he appeared to the disciples, and then he appeared to over 500 people at once, and eventually he appeared to me, and he says, and most of us are still alive. In other words, go and ask us. If you don't believe us, if you don't believe me, ask that person, ask that group of 20, go ask that gathering of over 500 people. They saw Jesus alive. So we can know that Jesus is alive because he really was dead. The tomb was empty. The eyewitness accounts. And then finally, we know that Jesus is alive because of the radical transformation in the lives of his followers. What can account for the fact that the first New Testament church opened its doors just miles away from the very place that Jesus was crucified and buried? And we're adding thousands and thousands of people to the kingdom. My dad died a year ago. If I told you that my dad claimed to be the Savior, that his death was going to pay the price for sin, and I opened up a church just outside of Ajax where my dad is buried and said, my dad, he's risen from the dead bodily. His grave is empty. Come and gather. Let's worship my father. All it would take is one person to say, no, come to the cemetery in Ajax and we'll exhume the body. He's there. Or someone might exhume the body and drag the corpse and say, no, you guys are being being misled. They couldn't do that with Jesus. What can account for the radical transformation in the disciples? They They were huddling in fear. And yet they saw the risen Savior. And their confusion became conviction. Their their doubt became determination. Their fear became faith. And tradition tells us that that every close follower of Jesus, those disciples, 
Because they refused to renounce Jesus. Because they refused to say that Jesus really wasn't alive. Met a tragic, horrific death. And maybe one of them would have been crazy enough to have gone the whole way, but not every one of them. Jesus was alive. He was dead. He rose again. The tomb is empty. Hundreds of people saw him. And the lives of those who were the closest to him were radically transformed. But what is it about the resurrection that accounts for such a radical transformation? What does the the resurrection of Jesus mean? First of all, it means that everything that Jesus said about himself is true. Now, there's been many people who have said some pretty lofty things about Jesus. He was a great man of God. He was a wonderful religious leader. He's the greatest prophet. But what did Jesus say about himself? He said, I'm the son of God. I am equal with God. I am God in the flesh. I will forgive your sins. I can grant you eternal life. And to the religious leaders of his day, that was blasphemy. Because it was only God who could forgive sin. It was only God who could raise the dead. It was only God who could grant eternal life. And so they confronted him and they challenged him. I love Acts 2. Uh, Sorry, not Acts 2, John 2. You know the scene where Jesus comes into the temple and there's a whole barnyard going on and they're selling animals and there's money changers and Jesus chases all the animals out, throws over the the money changers table and then there's this table uh, of someone selling some doves. And Jesus says, get out of my father's house. Stop making it into a marketplace. And those religious leaders, the the, the Jews confronted Jesus right then. He said, what evidence? They said, what evidence can you give us that will prove that you have the authority to do the things that you are doing? What did Jesus say? Does anyone know? Right. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I'll rebuild it. And I had no clue what Jesus was talking about. If you read further in, in John chapter 2, Jesus was talking about himself. Romans 1, we've been going through Romans. How Paul starts it. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. Because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, we can be sure that he is who he said he was And that what he said about himself and what he said he would do is true. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we can also know that he has the power to accomplish those very things. In uh, John chapter 10, Jesus says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down 
and I have power to take it again. Why was the tomb empty? Because Jesus said that he was going to die and he was going to raise again. And I don't know about you, but if Jesus can say that he's going to rise from the dead, and he does, then I'm going to believe everything else that Jesus claimed about himself that he could do. And we could go on for hours talking about the things that Jesus said. But Jesus said that he was the way to the Father. He said that he was going to be a ransom for sin, that he was the Savior of the world. That he was going to prepare a place for us. So what does the resurrection mean? It means that Jesus is who he said he was. And he can do what he said that he's going to do. And finally, what does the resurrection matter? You know, all those things that I described about uh, those death conversations I've had this week. Hopelessness, helplessness, lack of purpose, despair dismay. Those words describe our situation in sin. Because of our problem of sin, our future is all those very things. And so what does the resurrection uh, have as far as implications for you and for me? Well, first of all, it means that our salvation is possible. And our forgiveness uh, is possible. Jesus said that he was going to give his life as a ransom for sin. He was going to pay a penalty that we couldn't pay. And he said that his resurrection was going to be God's stamp of approval. That his death was acceptable uh, and satisfactory. If Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, then then we're in trouble. Because his death would have accomplished nothing for us. If God left Jesus to decay in the tomb... It would have been a sign that God did not see the death of Jesus as a satisfactory payment of our sin. But that's not the case. In Romans 4, it says that Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And remember, we talked about justification only a few weeks ago. To be declared innocent through putting our faith in the person and work of Jesus. We can be justified. We can be declared innocent, regardless of who we are, where we've come from, what we've done. We can be declared innocent, and we can be forgiven of our sins. So what's the resurrection of Jesus Christ mean to us? It means that we can have forgiveness of sins, that we can be saved, that we can have salvation. It means that we can have purpose, Jesus says, I've come to give life, and I've come to give abundant life. And he's not just talking about life in the future. He's talking about life and and joy and peace in the here and now, too, and, and purpose. No matter how screwed up you think your life has been, when you put your faith in what Jesus Christ has done, the Bible tells us you are adopted into his family. You become a child of God. You become joint heirs with Jesus. You're given spiritual gifts. You're given a commission. You're asked to be his representative. You're asked to be his messenger. Your identity no longer is in the things of your past. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. You can have purpose. And you can have hope. My uh, sister-in-law shared at the funeral that uh, she was trying to figure out a way she could tell her students 
that had written that card that they were hoping that maybe her father was in a better place. She's trying to think of how she can do it without getting fired and telling her students, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my father is in a better place because he put his trust in Jesus Christ about 75 years ago. And he's in heaven. It's the same hope that my family had when my father was lying close to death in the hospital. We watched other families that were distraught as their loved ones were in intensive care and most likely going to face death. But we were able to share with those around us and with the doctors, we know where my father's going. Keep him comfortable. But we're more than happy if the Lord is calling him that he goes home to meet his Savior and Lord. What a hope. What a hope. Praise team, come on up as I share just one last death conversation. And it's in John chapter 11. And you all know the story. Lazarus has died. A good friend of Jesus. In fact, he's been dead for four days and he's been buried himself. And uh, getting a little bit stinky from being buried for four days. And uh, Martha says to Jesus... Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That was the question he asked Martha, and I asked you the same question this morning. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life? Church, do you believe it? Because Jesus went into that tomb, despite what odor there might have been, and he said, Lazarus, get up. And Lazarus got up. And listen, to, we, we don't talk much about what, what he said to Lazarus. But I love it. And I think it's a message for the church. Jesus said to those who are helping Lazarus, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Church, the grave clothes of sin and death have been taken off. And Jesus has said, go. Go with this glorious message that I am alive And I can radically transform lives. And he's given us that commission. He's given us that responsibility to share. And after we sing this song, we are going to hear some wonderful testimonies of how God is using people at Auburn with this very same message to bring hope and purpose and God's forgiveness and eternal life to people right here in Peterborough. Let's sing.